This is Looking Forward, conversations about the future of work, brought to you by Herman Miller. Hello, and welcome to the Looking Forward podcast. I'm Ryan Anderson, Vice President of Global Research and Insights at Herman Miller, and your host. Today, we'll be kicking off the podcast with Brian Elliott, the executive leader at FutureForum, a new consortium launched by Slack to help organizations reimagine the future of work. Prior to leading FutureForum, Brian was the VP and general manager of Platform at Slack. And before that, he was a product leader at Google, a startup CEO, and a consultant with Boston Consulting Group. I find Brian's perspectives on how organizations need to evolve to be both thought-provoking and highly useful, and I can't imagine a better person to join us on our first episode. Enjoy this conversation with Brian Elliott. Brian, thank you for joining us on our inaugural episode of the Looking Forward podcast. We're thrilled to have you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Well, we've been a fan of you for a while at Herman Miller, and we've had the chance to get to know you a little bit through our work on Future Forum, and we'll get to that. But maybe we can start just by having the listeners learn a little bit more about you and what you do. Sure. So um, I've got uh, sort of two roles at Slack. One is I lead Future Forum. So Future Forum is this new consortium uh, that Herman Miller is a great partner of ours in, thinking about the future of work. And it's a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is based on what we're doing at Future Forum, the research. Uh, but I also uh, lead Slack's own internal efforts. So I spend a lot of time with our executive team sorting through, you know, what have we learned over the past year? What are we going to do differently as offices reopen, as we get access to space back? How do we want to come out of this, you know, better and stronger? which, you know, is its own unique set of challenges as well. Cool. So give us a little sense of how you got here. So Future Forum itself uh, was kind of a, a long-term project uh, from my perspective and from Stuart Butterfield, who's Slack's CEO and co-founder. Stuart started talking with me about Future Forum and earlier concepts of it, the Center for the Future of Work, back in January of 2018. I'd been at Slack for all of a month, I think. And, you know, Slack has always had a pretty strong research organization, much like Herman Miller has. Uh, and, you know, a lot of that research was really insightful, but it was being used only internally. And we would also have conversations with companies and other executives about, you know, what was going on in the world more broadly? What were they seeing in terms of trends, in terms of how do you engage talented people? How do you attract them to your organization? How do you make them more productive? And those conversations together led to like, we should really find a way to externalize this, not just Slack product. Think about like how we build that. It was a great idea, but kind of sat on a shelf, to be honest, for a long period of time. And I, I always kept a passion around it because, you know, I've been leading teams and companies and organizations for 20 plus years now, mostly in technology. And, you know, the thing that I've learned often through uh, the School of Hard Knocks is the importance of culture. It's the importance of talent. It's the importance of how do you attract and engage and retain talented people. So last year, pandemic struck. And like most other companies, Slack had to make a major shift. Uh, we were only 3% remote ourselves. And very quickly, you know, we found ourselves in conversations with executives across a wide range of companies. And it wasn't about Slack, the product. It was about what are you doing? How are you handling this? How's your team responding? What are you worried about? And at that point, you know, Stuart, myself, and a few others said, if we we're ever going to do this, now's the time. So we launched Future Forum with the intent of doing two things, bringing together original research, uh, work that we've been conducting with knowledge workers around the globe. Every quarter, we run an instrument called Future Forum Pulse that uh, taps into about 10,000 knowledge workers. 
and we combine the insights coming out of that with executive conversations. So how do we bring together groups of you know CEOs, CHROs, CIOs, people who run workplace, and have conversations about what are you struggling with, what's working for you, what's not, and how do we learn from one another? And the objective is, you know, how do we help everybody build uh, out of this much better than they came into it? Yeah, you know, knowing that you have this long history in the tech world, I've always sensed that there's this perception that technology companies are already living future of work. But in a lot of ways, in my own personal experience, I'm not sure that's always been the case. Certainly, Slack as a platform, super cutting edge. It's the sort of platform you look at when you start thinking about working in new ways. But if I think of a lot of technology companies in the Bay Area, having more flexible working, having more people working remote isn't has not, not always been the case, has it? Absolutely has not. I mean, I, in, my, in my 20 years, I almost always had distributed teams, meaning I had, whether it was my startup or whether it was Google, whether it was Slack, I had organizations where people were scattered across different cities but it still felt very traditional in a lot of ways. Uh, we were an office-centric culture, meaning work itself was centered in activities that happened in the office. We were fixed nine to five schedules. And almost always we had this major issue, which was parts of our organization, parts of my team that weren't in headquarters, wherever headquarters was, felt second class. They felt like you know it was both the tactical issues of how do I engage in a meeting when 12 of you are in a room and three of us are distant? But it was also that feeling that careers were limited because if you weren't you know, where the action was, you, weren't, you didn't have quite the same in. And so even though from a technology perspective, I think we obviously did better than most in terms of stitching things together, you know, Slack itself was a very office-centric culture. We were very rooted in, well, you need an office to onboard employees and you need an office for creativity. And this this last year and a half has just been eye-opening uh, personally, professionally, but also for a lot of organizations. I'm glad you brought up distributed working and distributed teams, because for me, that may be the, the highest level meta kind of theme that organizations can understand, because we saw this spreading out of work and spreading out of teams happening for a really long time, really, since Wi-Fi and mobile technology came around. Most organizations weren't super cognizant of just how distributed the work had become or what those experiences were. So it definitely feels like there's a heightened awareness, but I'm just curious, and I know it's tough to, to hone in on this, but what are you seeing as the major shifts and how organizations are thinking about future of work now that we've been through 2020, and we've had so many more conversations about this. Yeah, the, the, the first and the most core is that employee expectations have really changed, right? And employees have realized after a year and a half of proving that they can be productive working from home and getting back, you know, the time that they spent in the commute more often than not, getting back a better sense of work-life balance, they don't want to give it up. So, you know, flexibility uh, at this point is really a key component in the battle for talent. 21% of the, of the 10,000 people in our most recent survey, 21% of them plan to switch jobs this year. 56% of them are open to new opportunities. And flexibility after compensation is the second most important thing people are talking about. And that, that you know, having proven that they can make it work, you can understand why people feel that way. And it's not that most people want to be fully remote. In fact, most don't. Most people want just want flexibility. They want the ability to access an office for camaraderie, social engagement, team belonging, you know, team engagement, but they really don't want to have to do it five days a week. They really don't want to have to do it because they've proven they can, they can, they can do it otherwise. 
And it's it's even it's a little more complex even than that. People talk a lot about the flexibility around where people work. Um, it turns out that's that's important. Seventy six percent of people in our most recent survey want flexible flexibility in location, but ninety three percent want schedule flexibility. Right? They want to be able to deal with you know caregiving issues issues at home and not feel the guilt over it or not feeling like that's an impossible hurdle to overcome. They want to be able to time shift part of their day. I'm better in the morning than I am in the evening. And those kinds of accommodations become really important to people, especially um, people from more diverse backgrounds as, as it's played out. So what we've learned over the past year is if you're going to win this war for talent, if you're going to bring in the most talented, most, most diverse workforce, you really have to rethink a lot of the people process and place of how work comes together. And you have to do, to provide that flexibility within a framework that works for your organization. But if you can, the potential is fantastic, right? Because you are able to tap into much more distributed, much more diverse um, uh, workforces, and your you know talent retention, your engagement uh, factors can go up appreciably. Yeah, and I think organizations are beginning to realize that that flexibility equates to more equitable work experiences for people, um, that we can begin to even out some of that disparity that you talked about in terms of uh, anybody who's outside of the office feeling like a second-class citizen, because I I think that's been uh, a reality for a really long time. Yeah, there's three really key factors uh, to that. Um, One, in in our research, um, working mothers in the the U.S. in particular um, have struggled over the course of the past year and a half. The, The She Session the fact that a million and a half women have been forced out of the workforce in the U.S. because they couldn't balance, you know, the work commitments and the home commitments. The, the reason why, especially in our survey instrument, people are asking for schedule flexibility more often than not from uh, the women that are asking for it. It's for caregiving situations. Um, the other side of this is black, Hispanic and Asian American employees value flexibility more than white employees do. Um, in our, this has been interesting. It's proven out quarter after quarter as, as we've looked into this. Black employees, for example, have had a much better sense of belonging working remotely than white employees did. And when we've dug into this, it's the cost of code switching. It's the cost of microaggressions. And much like everybody else, you know, black employees, Hispanic employees, they want access to an office. They just value that flexibility to work from home even a couple of days a week much more so even than white employees do because it gives them a break. It gives them an opportunity to recharge, to, you know, turn the Zoom off after one of those meetings goes sideways on them uh, and to get re-centered and, and bring it back. And the third group is everybody that's worked in a, you know, quote unquote, remote office. And the opportunity there is fantastic. They're, internally, this is the, the, the phrase, Slack is our headquarters, came about because Mike Brevoort, who's an engineering director out of Denver, um, uh, back in roughly speaking April of last year, started talking about this, about you know having having led the engineering team in Denver, having you know uh, spent a lot of time and energy building up uh, a lot of Slack's platform. Mike found himself in a situation where all of a sudden he was on a much more level playing field with everybody else. And Mike, I, I've talked. Mike worked with me extensively. In, in 2019, Mike made 23 trips to San Francisco, and. He didn't make the 23 trips just to work with his team in San Francisco. He would make it because there was an executive presentation. And he would find that you know, it, was, it was important to be in the room where it happens because it was just really hard often to participate if you, were, if you were outside of it. And that leveling of the playing field from Mike's perspective was fantastic. In, in 2022, Mike might make a half dozen trips for team building and belonging. But 
the difference in his work-life balance, the difference in what he can take on is tremendous. And so that's that's the sort of origin story internally of how that came about. And it's just the the leveling of the playing field, the equal access to opportunity for working mothers, for black knowledge workers, for people who are in what were you know sort of second-class citizen remote offices is an amazing opportunity to unlock talent that you know it's going to require work on all of our parts and it's going to require a lot of thought uh and about how you make sure you don't end up with false flexibility you don't end up with you know um facetime becoming important from for promotions but you know there are issues to work on here too well i want to get to some of those challenges but there's a few things you said that i would just love to go deeper on in terms of flexibility with when i i also found those numbers to be really really interesting but not entirely surprising, partly because so many organizations that found themselves working remotely were so reliant on synchronous communication technologies where everybody had to be on a call, video call, audio call, regardless of their life demands or what time zones they were in. Part of this, it feels like organizations have not quite yet begun to balance out uh, communicating in asynchronous ways and not necessarily demanding that every conversation be a scheduled meeting. Absolutely. And I think that's actually gotten worse for a lot of organizations, not better in the last year. And the, the challenge with this is if you basically did a, a lift and shift, if you just took your day full of meetings and that were done in an office and then you moved them into people's homes, um, you know, you've already contributing to potential for, you know, Zoom burnout and, and all the rest of it. But the, the additional problem that came up on top of that, and there's two of them, uh, Managers in particular who don't have the tools to keep on top of status of what their team is doing through, you know, asynchronous or digital tool means would add more meetings onto the calendar, right? So you'd end up with more status meetings to check in. And on top of that, if Ryan, you and I wanted to have a five minute conversation, more often than not, in a lot of these organizations, what I do is I go and I look at your calendar and I put half an hour on your calendar and my calendar and I add, you know, a video call link. And then you're adding yet another meeting and another block of time when really all I needed was five minutes of conversation. And so, you know, there, there's this there's this trend away from, you know, that that sort of high, heavy dependency that we've all grown on video into and, and onto synchronous communication into how do you drive more asynchronous communication, collaboration and make it easier. So there's simple things that end up mattering a lot, like. How do I make sure that I've got, for all my managers, real clarity about how you collect status on projects? What tool do we use? When do we do it? Where does it get shared? So you just take some of the churn out of adding more status meetings onto people's calendars. And the second is more audio, shorter conversations, right? And so whether that is done through a phone call, right? Uh, Simple, easy, and quick, whether it's a message in Slack, or whether it's things like huddles, which is a new Slack feature that I happen to personally love, that is just an audio-only channel where I can quickly, you know, basically virtually tap somebody on the shoulder to see if they're available and have a five-minute chat. But the more that we can move the the sort of status checks, the project updates into asynchronous, the better off everybody else will be. Awesome. So um, I also think the results from the most recent research looking at what groups of people value flexibility the most, including African-American knowledge workers and others, has brought to the forefront, I think, bigger and even more important conversations about creating more inclusive spaces and more inclusive experiences. I'll just tell you that separate from our conversation today, we've been looking at what it takes to create more inclusive environments, spatial environments. And, you know, there's no head of a, a table on a Zoom call. Everyone is equally represented in their own box. And so I think 
we've been feeling for a long time that the built environment actually has all sorts of opportunities to help address some of this. But I think the emphasis on flexibility and its link to DEI efforts are one of those things that CEOs, CHROs have to pay attention to. Um, but I do sense that there are still organizations that are resistant or at least working through the complexities of what it means to offer more flexibility, getting caught up in terms like hybrid, terms like remote first, office first. But at the core, I'm just curious what you found in all of your conversations through Future Forum might be holding organizations back in terms of uh, embracing this. Yeah, so I think a lot of those challenges are basically uh, tie their way back to conventional wisdom. So uh, a lot of conventional wisdom is rooted on what worked for people that, to be honest, look like me, uh, a white guy in his 50s. Uh, and what worked for me doesn't work for everybody. And what worked because we basically had one way of working, which is work was done in an office, may not be the best way. We just haven't questioned it in a long time. And so there, a lot of things that you hear are, well, my team is just not as creative, as an example, uh, without you know, having an office to come together in. And when you dig into it, um, it turns out that's not accurate. So we've, we've done some research. I know you all have as well in this area. Um, we did a survey back in April of, uh, of knowledge workers that showed that regardless of whether they were working remotely in an office or hybrid, their rating of whether their team was able to create new ideas, uh, generate new concepts, uh, build new processes, didn't vary across location. What it varied on the basis of were two things. Um, psychological safety being number one. Can I ask for help? Is, it, is, this a, in, is my team an environment where it's safe for me to share new ideas? That was the key determinant. And if those things were true, you were much more likely to have a more creative team and creative organization. And the second that was especially true in this environment was, had you invested in rethinking the process by which you did creativity, right? So if you were dependent on people physically being present in a room to do it, then obviously you struggled when you were remote. But if you had started adopting digital tools for doing this, whether that's a Google Doc or whether it's a whiteboarding tool like a mural, a mural or a Miro, you know, there are there are plenty of ways to do this that don't involve you know, a complete overhaul, but this means that you have to rethink how the work gets done. And so I think at the root of it, though, that's the challenge. The root of the challenge is a lot of leaders have had decades of experience leading in one particular way, running work through offices, being dependent on measuring attendance as a means of measuring productivity. And the shift towards whether you call it hybrid, whether you take a digital first approach, it all requires rethinking a lot of those assumptions. And that's hard work. It is. And we recognize that. And there's lots of experimentation to be done and struggle to be had in, in sorting through it. But the rewards are fantastic because back to the, the untapped opportunity with all of those, all of that talent that, that's out there is huge. And the main determinant is going to be managerial and leadership willingness to experiment, to test, to try new things. Well, I got to say, as someone who thinks a lot about work and work process, but in particular workplace, this reconsideration of conventional wisdom and the rethinking and really translation of how work can be done differently is something that we actually have been waiting for in a lot of ways. Because if I look at office environments, they grew very generic. They were meant to support everything for everyone all the time. And so when we start thinking about, no, the office can actually be freed to focus in on some of those sweet spots that it does best. It's actually a very freeing exercise. But my sense is that this translation, 
of work into this new era is overwhelming, that organizations are trying to take what may have been a 10-year trajectory for them and fit it into 10 months. Um, any thoughts on where to start? Like if, if you were to sit down with a leader and say, okay, I know this is a big shift, but maybe focus in on these conversations first or these processes first, what would they be? So the, the, the first thing would actually be focusing on that leadership team itself. So the most important thing is that your C-suite is having these conversations about, you know, essentially they come down to what are your principles uh, of how you're going to work together. But there's a really rooting question that we found works often. Are we going back to the way that things worked in February 2020? Or are we taking all the things that we've learned over the course of the past year and a half and finding ways to move forward and recombine that with what we had before? So we had this conversation internally within Slack. Nadia Rawlinson, who's our chief people officer, was actually, I think, the first one to ask, what's our orientation? Are we moving forward or are we going back? And that was a really eye-opening question for some people because it, office space is a fantastic tool. Shared space is a fantastic tool for people, but we let it become the everything tool. And like you said, it became um, genericized in far too many ways. And so if you instead take the approach of, I'm going to take what we've learned as a, as a leadership group, you can then move on from there and say, great. Now, what do we want to use the office for? How do we see, what do we see the purpose of that being? What still continues to happen in digital tools? But the, the rooting concept that we find works most often with that executive leadership team is how do we get aligned on our principles? How do we get aligned on how we as leaders are going to come back into this? So I'll give you an example from my work with the, the Slack leadership team. From our perspective, we learned pretty quickly the value of flexibility. Um, there, there were plenty of people whose minds were changed pretty rapidly over the course of the pandemic who had before thought that remote work, uh, people might not be as productive, they might not be as efficient, they might not be as creative. We managed to prove to ourselves that they can be and they were, and at which point the, the, the question became uh, almost moot in terms of like making that part of it work. The harder part was great, we now understand the flexibility part. How do we now build a equitable, inclusive environment when people start to come back? Because that's where it gets hard. And the most central conversation with the executive team was how they were going to do that themselves. How were they going to show back up in the office? Where were they going to show up? Why were they going to come back? And we really did uh, three key things. One, we actually geographically distributed the team more broadly. So Stuart Butterfield, Slack CEO and co-founder, no longer is in San Francisco. Nadia, who joined us midstream through the pandemic, is based in Chicago. It was much easier to have a more geographically distributed team, but we took that a step further. We literally dismantled the C-suite, the traditional um, floor in our corporate headquarters that had offices for the vast majority of the senior executives. And we said, even if you are still based in San Francisco, you're going to have an office on a different floor just as a signaling thing that was important uh, to the organization. Second was everybody agreed that they weren't going to be them in the office themselves more than three days a week. Um, but the third one that was really important is there's this concept of one dials in, all dial in. So think back to Mike Brevoort, the guy in Denver who was dialing in from Denver for executive meetings. If all of a sudden, Cal Henderson, who's our CTO and co-founder, and Tamara Yehoshua, who's chief product officer, were sitting in a room together and Mike is trying to dial in, he's going to be very tempted to get on a plane. So those senior executive meetings, more than any other, are going to be ones where we're going to maintain a everyone dials in mantra around it, literally to the point where the people who are instrumenting those meetings are not going to book conference rooms for them. So 
that doesn't work for every group and every team, but I think it's really important that executives who are setting the tone are the ones that are sort of leading the way because the, the power dynamics are really important in all of this. And if you as a leadership team are aligned that flexibility is important, you also have to back it up in a way that ensures you've got an inclusive, equitable opportunity and access to you in doing that. And that really comes down to how do you show up? How do you behave? And how do you engage with your organization? That is so interesting. Those are bold steps. Uh, and I, I have such respect for the fact that you've embraced it at that level. By the way, I don't know that most of the organizations I talk to have gone to the everybody dials in mode just yet. But one of the things that we've noticed uh, from particularly from those areas of the world that have kind of reopened uh, their offices soonest is just how common participating on video and audio meetings individually is. Interestingly, we have this separate work from home tool and, and the, um, the issue that the most number of people, and we had over 20,000 people use this tool, said that they struggled with, and part of it was just the pandemic, was uh, individual focused productivity at home. So yeah. they found maybe they weren't distracted every day, but they were distracted sometimes. And so we kind of anticipated we better get ready to host a lot of people doing individual work, individual concentrative work, and to some extent, individual video meetings in the office as they came back. And what you're describing in terms of that individual, individual everyone dials in phenomena seems to be something that is happening more and more. So that focus on an individual focus for us has grown. Yeah. And I know I keep taking things spatially. I won't keep driving. Things no, no, back but, that, but actually that, that is, that is really important. And it, and it plays out in even thinking through like um, back to you were talking earlier on about the power dynamics that can happen when people are in an office, right? Because one of the challenges that you see, and we, we had people voice this too, is how much they appreciated the fact that a meeting no longer consisted of your traditional rectangular table where the senior most people were probably sitting you know, at one end or the other end of the table. And you could almost see the organization chart lining up you know, at the table and doing it. And that, um, that, the move from there to a, a flat screen to a Brady Bunch style conversation just sort of levels the playing field for people in terms of their ability to access people and to not feel like there's a power dynamic at work in how they converse and how they work with one another. The, the physical aspects, too, are really important around how people, and as are the digital ones, around how people get individual focus time, right? Because you do want to find ways, and this is where the schedule flexibility stuff gets harder, you need to find ways to kind of control the meetings beast. So with my team, for example, what we've done is said, um, we have core collaboration hours. We limit our team meetings, our one-on-ones, our engagements to between 9.30 and 2 o'clock um, West Coast time. That also happens to work for our East Coast uh, compatriots. And the reason why we do that is it gives people more solo time to be heads down and focus outside of that, to turn off notifications if they need a couple of hours of heads down creative time. And that's really important. It's also going to be really important as we think about physical space. So, you know, even as we've started experimenting and piloting with reopening an office here in San Francisco, we've done things like the quiet floor versus the loud floor. Right? How do you think about um, places where people can opt on a day in, day out basis? Today, I really, you know, I need space. I don't have space at home. I'm going to come into the office, but I need quiet space to get my work done versus other people that are like, I'm here for the social engagement. Please put me in a space where it's a little louder, where nobody's going to mind if I happen to be taking a call and where I can engage with the people that are around me. Yeah, we have very distinctive zones in uh, many Herm Miller facilities that are just that. Uh, those spaces focused on community socialization, which is particularly important for 
groups that may not have had a lot of interaction or individuals that may not have had a lot of interaction with each other and they just want to like reconnect and bond. But yeah, we do designate specific areas where people know they can get heads down, creative work done. And it's not necessarily getting through your emails or expense reports. It's I've got a spreadsheet that I need three hours on before I show it to my manager kind of work. And if you're distracted at home, it's tough to find that. Absolutely. It's really hard. I mean, I'm a writer and my writing time, if it comes in half hour blocks, is honestly pointless. Uh, If it comes in one hour blocks, it's also mostly pointless, you know, without a good solid two hour block where I can literally turn off notifications and be uninterrupted and get into flow. it's, It's really hard to do that. So we need to give people that space physically, mentally, um, digitally, the whole nine yards for them to be effective. Cool. Well, let's take it back to leadership behaviors for a second. You introduced the term false flexibility earlier, and I said we were going to pause on that for a second. It's an interesting concept and one that I think is worthy of conversation among leadership teams. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, there, there, are, there are real and valid concerns out there that because the people that most value flexibility are more often than not, Black employees, Hispanic employees, Asian American employees, women with children, that if the people showing back up in the office, even three to four days a week, look like, you know, somewhat older, more uh, more experienced, um, you know, white male leadership, and the people that are um, taking advantage of flexibility aren't don't look like them. If you end up in a situation where you are, you know, where FaceTime is is important from both a you know traditional promotions perspective, but even from a collaboration perspective, it's really challenging. So it's it, that sense of false flexibility comes up in people right now. We 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 hear this, we see it in the research. We also see it, and I hear it. Because as we go through an ongoing pandemic, and as people are concerned about like what's going to happen with kids in school in the fall, it's more often than not, you know, women who are the primary caregivers. And so as offices reopen, there's a lot of understandable concern that the flexibility that we're promising to people may turn out to be false if we don't find a way to make sure that you've got a level playing field from an opportunity perspective. So that's why we spent as much time as we did on, with the leadership team on making sure they were exhibiting behaviors that would that would hopefully cascade down in terms of, of how that works. But it's also going to come down to things like making sure that you've got team level norms. You have team level agreements about things like how often are we going to get together for what purpose so that people understand and know and can set expectations themselves around the fact that they're going to be expected to be in the office three days a week. And here's the three days that we as a team agree to because that's what works for us. So the 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 leadership in the top is going to have to set the tone in terms of avoiding that false flexibility. But a lot of this is also going to come down to making sure that managers are equipped to have these conversations with their teams so that the team itself can also figure out what's going to work for them so that it doesn't become a, um, a one-sided coin, basically, where you know the manager is setting the tone and everybody else has to adhere to it. Well, getting back to your previous point that uh, and I may, maybe these are my words, not yours, that the power balance has, in essence, shifted towards the employee. And if employees are looking at their employers to determine how authentic this flexibility is, if it's truly not lived out in the way that it's promised, that could have very negative effects for organizations. Absolutely. The things I get concerned about is um, when we start getting into individual work team leaders, people managers, presenteeism and measuring uh, productivity not based on outcomes, but just where you are, the hours you work, et cetera, um, may be one of my biggest concerns related to false flexibility, because it's one thing to say, sure, work more flexibly. But if, in essence, you're measured based on where where you're perceived to be, 
that's not going to work out very well. And I don't think it's a particularly good measure of productivity to begin with. So somehow organizations are going to have to get better at establishing and measuring goals and outputs. Absolutely. And, and this comes up in our executive conversations very regularly. There's, there's a real concern that we have um, essentially under-trained, under-tooled our uh, frontline managers, right? Frontline managers in our in our survey over the past year and a half have been far more stressed than individual contributors or senior executives, and it's sort of understandable because, you know, they often lack the networks that senior executives have. They lack the experience, but they're the ones that are dealing day in day out with individual you know people's challenges. And if as a frontline manager you basically are defaulting or have defaulted into you know FaceTime into you know the number of hours that people are showing up as your method of understanding whether or not somebody is you know, productively working for you or not, um, you know, working remotely has caused you a lot of stress. And you may be exactly the person that is looking forward to the office reopening because you can go back to kind of your pretty basic tools that honestly weren't very effective in the first place, but they kind of worked. And if that's the case, then we do have an issue. I think what we're trying to get people to be more focused on and what we're seeing increasingly is how do you measure outcomes, right? How do you think about you know, a uh, customer service team, uh, the, the metrics are going to be customer satisfaction, what's your net promoter score, and all the usual eff- efficacy and productivity ones. It's harder when you get into marketing organizations. It's harder when you get into product and engineering. But there are absolutely are ways to do it that get at making, that, that actually force a little discipline that's actually good for all of us, which is, what are the goals for our team? You know, what is the, what are the most important things for us to achieve what measures can we put around that about whether or not we're getting there effectively? And how do we change in, in a course if it's not happening? So the more that we can move to outcome-driven metrics of, of teams and, and therefore of people, you know, the better the performance of the team will be in the first place. But it, it's going to require work. It's going to require investment. And it, it, it requires more training for managers who may not have that skill set, may not know what to do. So what we've found, at least internally and in, in, in conversations with other, other organizations, is you have to get pretty tactical. You have to give people very explicit, you know, back to things even like status uh, uh, meetings, give them much more explicit, here's the tool to use, here's when to do it, here's when to communicate it. Here are ways to run you know, a one-on-one to make sure it's focused on what are key deliverables. Here's how to make sure that you've got explicit priorities for your organization. The more that we can give first-time managers those sorts of tactical tools, it means they don't have to learn everything. It means they can adapt those tools and do something with it as opposed to feeling like they're floundering. Awesome. Well, that is a fantastic place for us to begin to wrap up. But let me ask you one last question. Uh, Well, and I should start by saying we have so enjoyed our collaboration with you and the rest of of our friends at Future Forum. There's lots of resources on the Future Forum website. Uh, what can be found there? Uh, and what are, if any, uh, your favorite things that people shouldn't miss if they go to futureforum.com? So uh, futureforum.com, thank you very much, uh, has, a, has a blog uh, as well as the Pulse Survey. So the, the Pulse Survey is our, is our research. It's the core thing that we do. We release every quarter 10,000 knowledge workers around the globe. And it's, it's kind of the roots of a lot of our work. And we found it to be helpful to us in terms of driving insights, but it's also really helpful for organizations that are trying to figure out why this matters, right? What's the value of flexibility, how it helps organizations, how it impacts inclusiveness in companies and in teams. So that's really helpful. On our blog are also a host of playbooks, uh, playbooks that we've built out in cooperation with 
Herman Miller around space with Boston Consulting Group around a hybrid how-to principles and guidelines. Those are two of my absolute favorites. Uh, They just got released in June. And there's also more tactical things. How do you think about hosting your team's virtual offsite? How do I think about creativity and collaboration? How do I start brainwriting, not just brainstorming? So plenty of tactical playbook type of content rooted in the research, but also in practices that you know your team and our team have actually gathered across the literally now hundreds of organizations that we've been working with over the course of the past year. Awesome. Brian, it has been so good talking with you. Thank you for being our first guest. You, you were an awesome guest. And we appreciate you making the time to talk about these really important topics. Ryan, it's been a blast. I really appreciate it. This has been fantastic. Anytime. Anytime.